word has to say today. So we start with verse 1 of chapter 15. Jesus continues to teach his disciples. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you, have, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us truth, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's within our lives and the lives of believers today to illuminate your word and make it true and real. God, your words are powerful and they're true. We thank you that we can allow the word of Jesus to dwell within us richly today. God, I pray that you allow us to let the word soak in, remove any back, uh, hindrances, any distractions that may be getting in our way. Help us to be able to focus on your word today so that it changes our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a very familiar passage of scripture to you, and rather than bringing a tree in here today, I thought I would illustrate this right off the top with an illustration using a light. And as we read the passage, I think it's helpful for us to have a visual of it. We've heard it so many times. It, I think it's helpful to have uh, something to relate it to and maybe think through it. And so I want you to think about it. We know this is common sense, but if a light isn't plugged in, I don't care how many times you flip the switch on it, it's not going to turn on, is it? It, it just won't happen. There will be no light, no power coming to it. But once you plug in the power to the, to the lamp, then all of a sudden everything changes. And all of a sudden you have power and now the ability to actually see light from what's going on here. So I want you to think about Jesus says that he's the vine. He's the source of power, okay? And so every believer in here is connected to this power source. So I don't care whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been a believer for 40 years, whether you're here last night, it was the worst night of your Christian existence, or last night was the closest you've ever felt to God in your life. You are, if you're in Christ, you're connected to the vine, okay? You're connect connected to the power source. And so today, as we look at this passage, I want us to remember that. When we think about Jesus being the vine, remember that you are connected to the vine. You are connected to him. Regardless of what it feels like, regardless of what you think in this moment, you're connected to him. So let this light remind you, and we'll continue to point back and illustrate from this in just a minute. So another metaphor that Jesus used, which we can relate to by looking at this light, is the idea that Jesus said in Matthew that no one lights a lamp and they put it under a basket, right? It just makes sense to light a light and put it under a basket. So the point that Jesus is making in that additional metaphor, that other metaphor in Matthew, is the fact that as Christians, we can be connected to the vine, but nevertheless, we're not allowing our light to be seen. So Jesus says, 
how can it be true that you could take something and you could put it over the lamp, over the light, so you can't see it, all right? You start a fire here, be ready with a, a fire extinguisher, please. Put this out. But the, his point is, he says, in the same way, in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5, let your good deeds or your fruit, as the metaphor today will, will show, shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So God is working to, using the, the tree illustration, to prune us so that our light shines more brightly for the world, our good works, our fruit shows. We'll talk about that in, in a second. So that you can fully realize the power that you have in Christ. And through that, then the world will see the fruit or the light of your life. And so allow this to sink in. Again, because we've seen, we've heard, many of you know this, uh, this John chapter 15 so well that sometimes it loses its punch. But it's an amazing passage of scripture because Jesus wants to produce much fruit through us. He wants our light to shine brightly. He wants us producing so that we can make a difference for his kingdom, for his glory, as Jesus points out in this text today and also in the Matthew passage. And Jesus says at the end of this illustration today in John 15, he says that when you allow your life to look this way, that fruit is being produced, light is shining out for those around you to see, that you will experience joy in this. In fact, look at verse not in our text today, we'll talk more about it next week, but skip down to verse 11. He says, after he gets done with this illustration of the vine and the branches, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. My joy in you, your joy is full when you allow your life to shine, when you allow fruit to be produced in your life. And now, well, let's define joy for a second. This is critical, just like peace last week to understand that unlike the peace of the world, remember the illustration, the, the fighting MMA illustration, just because there's no combat going on doesn't mean that there's real peace happening because we're engaged in a battle and the world sees peace as primarily an absence of conflict. We said last week that God's peace is shalom. It is it, something that goes beyond the circumstances that we're in. The same thing with, with joy. Biblical joy is a result of Jesus' joy, he says, filling in, is filling us so that we can choose to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. And so Jesus tells us, and he's going to say this clearly, just like this in chapter 16, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. So if you look at peace as the absence of conflict, the absence of stress, then you're not living in the real world because the real world is full of difficulty, conflict, and hurt and pain. It is. It's, it's life. And the longer you live, the more that you realize it. But Jesus said you could have peace in this chaos, and then today we can have joy in this chaos. In this world, we will have trouble, but he is in us to provide us joy. So being connected to the vine, being connected to his will, re results in fruit being produced, and great joy for us because we're fulfilling, get this, we're fulfilling our purpose, why he saved you in the first place. You have to just deprogram your mind, if that's a word, deprogram, is that right? Deprogram your mind to help you see that your salvation is not ultimately about you getting to heaven. Your, your salvation is about a real and active and true relationship with God where you walk with him on this earth 
fulfilling his purposes, his will, for his glory, and then you go on into his presence after death, and we continue to glorify him and live for his will. We live for him on earth as it is in heaven. Do his will on earth as it is in heaven. So if we go to verse 1, let's begin to break this down, this, this illustration that Jesus gives. He says, I am, and let's just pause right there, because if you tracked with this most of the weeks in John, Jesus now has said for the seventh, this is the seventh formal time recognized I am statement. He's using the name of God here. I won't belabor that. We've talked a lot about that in the past. But he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So let's get the context. We've talked a lot about context over the last few weeks. Let's just remind ourselves that Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And we're just hours before his arrest. And what I read in my quiet time today in Mark, just Jesus is this mockery that he receives. Just, it's just terrible just the way he's treated, mocking him, king of the Jews. If you can do this, bring yourself down from the cross. Jesus, the creator of the world, under, he, he, he allowed himself to be mocked and ridiculed by the very people that he created. And so Jesus here, he, he's about to have his arrest and his crucifixion so close, painful crucifixion. And, and yet he's here in the upper room. And what is he doing? He's spending his last hours teaching about peace to his disciples. This peace I give to you, just hours before his arrest, he's teaching on peace. He knows the details. He's not being caught by surprise. He knows the details of what's to happen. He's alluded to that. What else does he do? He kneels down. He washes his disciples' feet. He celebrates Passover with them. He identifies Judas as his betrayer, and Judas leaves, leaves the room. And now we get to the point where Jesus starts in on this illustration. And at this some point, and you saw at the end of last week, if you were here, that Jesus, they got up to leave. They got to, up to move out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're going, I can imagine that they're going through vineyards, ancient vineyards that existed there. And he just uses what he sees as a very practical teaching illustration to his disciples about what his connection should be to them, what their connection should be to him, and the role of the Father as the vine dresser. So let's look at this passage. He says that the Father is the gardener or the vine dresser. Now this is not some imagery that's new. If you study the Old Testament, if you look in the Old Testament, it's a very common imagery for God. It, the view is that, that it's a vineyard and a vine. That, that represents Israel. And here God is tending to that so that Israel will produce fruit. So that's what Jesus is thinking of as he says this. But here, the difference is Jesus presents himself as the true vine rather than Israel. He's the true Israel who will fulfill Israel's destiny. The destiny of all people of all nations, all tribes and tongues, knowing about God the Father, that is what Israel's calling. They were to be a light to the nations, but rather they closed in, they shut out, they became too good for everyone around them, infidels, dogs, Gentiles, and they focused only on themselves. Jesus comes to show what Israel's true destiny should be, and he brings life and salvation to all people. And so God is the gardener, verse 2, every branch in me, and so Jesus tells us here in verse 5, he explains what the metaphor a branch means. Look at verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So the branches 
are the disciples of Jesus. His 11 in the immediate context. And all of us today are viewed as we're the branches that produce fruit. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the word abide, or may say in your version, if you're using a different version, it may say remain. This can confuse us because many denominations and people teach that this is an emotional experience. It's something that happens to you, uh, you know, somewhere down the line. It's some deeper life experience that you encounter. And they have a tendency to turn it into this. But Jesus is talking about a, a fixed reality that true disciples are connected to the power source. If you're a true disciple, you're connected to the vine. And that's the reality of what Jesus is saying here. True disciples are connected to me. Verse 5, again, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So what Jesus is saying, you get your life from me. You get your power from me. I am the one that provides you life, this connection that you have. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, even though he was going to go away, and he's told them this several times, and they wouldn't see him any longer, that they can have this close connection to Jesus as if they were a branch attached to the vine after he is gone. And as a result of this attachment, this connection to Jesus, they're going to produce fruit or light, as in my illustration. They're going to produce fruit that happens. And so basically, Jesus, what he's doing here, if you were here two weeks ago, he's unpacking what he talked about back in verse 20 of chapter 14. Let me read that again because it's the first dimension of this amazing truth that Paul and others go on and speak in detail about in the New Testament is our union with Christ. He says, in that day, meaning after his resurrection and ascension back to heaven and the Holy Spirit is sent, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. And so it's this union with Christ. So abiding is Jesus' term for union with Christ. So he says, when I'm gone, you'll continue to have this connection to me, even though I'm physically, I'm not here with you anymore. Right now, you know, they could think that we're connected to you, Jesus, because you're here bodily. But when Jesus leaves, the connection is still there. And in fact, he says, greater things you're going to do. More fruit is going to be produced from your life. The fact that I'm leaving because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And so you don't have to be concerned to the fact that I'm going away because it's for your good, Jesus said. And so what happens, he, he warns him. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We know that's true. If I unplug this light, nothing happens in this light because the light may be the one that's showing off and illustrating the power, but it's the power that does the work, right? It's the power that provides everything the light needs. And sometimes it's easy to forget that because we get busy doing our thing and living our lives, and we think that we can live on our own and do good things on our own. He's saying, you can do some good things maybe, but if you're not connected to me, it has no eternal value. It, nothing good is going to happen. And so in this illustration, Jesus says that the disciples, to the disciples that God, he's the gardener, and he's going to do two things in their life and in our life to maximize the fruit that's being produced in their life to allow this light to shine brighter and brighter. And so the first thing he says is he prunes the branches so they can be more fruitful. In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And here it is. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes 
that it may bear more fruit. He prunes it so it bears more fruit. Now, look, I'm the furthest thing from a good gardener that exists. I mean, literally, this is no joke. If I plant something, it dies. It doesn't thrive. It just dies, all right? Michelle's the gardener. She's the one with the green thumb and, and can make it happen. My only job on this whole gardening thing is she asks me each year to trim and prune the knockout roses, all right? It's a pretty easy job, really, and it's one that I can handle, and I haven't done any damage, I don't think, so far. But in late winter or early spring, I go out with my trimmers, and I go out and I take these plants, and I begin to cut off the length of stems and make them down to a certain height. And when you prune the plant, something that's weak and is poorly shaped, and if you allow it just to go, it'll just it'll produce small blooms. I've learned that. But it's going to look neglected. It's going to look straggly if you don't prune it. And if you don't prune it, it's also going to be very susceptible to pests and disease. So you prune it, and it's counterintuitive, if we didn't know anything about gardening in here, it's counterintuitive that you cut something down in order for it to grow to be more healthy and to produce more fruit. But that's the point that Jesus is getting at here. Left to themselves, they produce a lot of wild and useless growth. And I think the same is true, apparently, from what I've read about a vine. Just if you don't take care of it, it's just going to be wild and have a lot of useless things that won't produce the fruit that it's capable of producing. So if you're in Christ, connected to the vine, God is going to do whatever it takes to produce more fruit, to shine your light more brightly for his glory. And wild and useless growth in our lives will have to be trimmed away, cut away. And so we're so good at sabotaging this process because we just live our lives in a way that is just unaware of what God's actively doing, what he's about, and we get kind of stuck in on focusing on that wild and crazy growth and like, oh, things are happening in my life, so it must be decent, it must be okay, and we don't realize how much fruit could be producing if we didn't sabotage this process. Back when I was in Dallas as a youth pastor, I had this guy in our youth group, and I love this guy, his name's Michael, and Michael was kind of a wild and crazy guy. He was a senior in high school this certain year, this illustration, and he was just a really unique fella. He played the bass guitar. He went to a big public high school, a very popular kid there, and he was, he was kind of a hippie kind of dude. And anyway, he started talking to this other senior in our youth group. Her name was Mary Ashley, and she was very cultured. She was a ballerina, a very successful ballerina. She was very artsy. She was homeschooled, maybe a bit naive. And so Michael and her started kind of talking, you know, and he began to go over to her house from time to time with her parents there to kind of visit, do the, the, the courting kind of thing. And the, the mom called me one day, and she's like, John, just don't know about this Michael guy. I was like, why? She's like, just, he comes over and he doesn't have shoes on. He like, he walks to our house with no shoes. And his jeans are all torn to pieces. And honestly, he smells like he hasn't had a bath in a few days. And I, you know, I just don't know if that's like the kind of relationship, the kind of guy I want my daughter to be with. And I was, I, I assured her, I was like, Michael's a great guy. He really is. Just give him a chance. You know, he's a godly guy, and he, and he loves Christ. He's, he follows Christ. He's making a difference in his school. But I talked to Michael and said, Michael, do you realize, like, you're, you, you really like Mary Ashley. You're sabotaging this relationship because of, of these behaviors. You kind of got to get it together here and clean up your act a little bit. 
And so when a person comes to Christ, we forget sometimes that we have this deep connection that exists with God, but yet we live our lives in a way that sabotages what should be a natural thing that happens in our life. We do things that just don't help our purpose, which is to glorify God and bear fruit. And so we allow these things to get in our way and sabotage. What am I talking about? Destructive behaviors, destructive thinking patterns, attitudes and habits that cut us off from what we really are about inside of us, what we're really truly been created for. And, and let me give you another illustration to kind of help you understand how this works. You would think that if you have very poor eating habits, that would probably encourage you to eat healthier, like be more healthy and eat, make better choices of eating. But sadly, it actually perpetuates the consumption of worse food. The more bad stuff you take in, the more you crave the bad stuff. And so rather than crave what makes us feel better, think better, look better, live better, a poor diet generates cravings that will actually do just the opposite. But on the other hand, if, you're, if you eat a healthy diet, you're exercising regularly, you're producing you know, a healthy body and a vigorous mind, it fuels a craving for more and more healthy things. And so here's the point. Remember this. We crave what we consume, and we consume what we crave. We crave what we consume, and we consume what we crave. When our appetite is for the wrong thing, it totally spoils and eliminates our appetite for the right thing. And so that's just a long way of saying the more junk you put in, and a lot of times this is just absent-minded. It's just like, it's just life because this is culture. This is the way people do things. The more I live my life in ways that are just not consistent with a genuine relation with God, although they may not seem to be like, wow, that's sinful or that's terrible. But it's just taking in garbage and junk all the time and then expecting us to all of a sudden crave the things of Jesus on Sunday morning and throughout the week. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. You take in the bad things. If you're truly a believer, look, if you're truly connected to Christ, you know what's going to happen? You're going to live your life in survival mode. That's what you're going to do. You may have a few moments in between where you're feeling a little peace and happiness and occasionally conviction and for asking forgiveness for sins, confessing sins. But more than likely, you would probably fit into the category that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 3, 15, where he says, they're saved even though there is ones escaping through the fire. All right? They're just like barely getting out, right? Just enough to get through the flames and get out of the house. And, and where's the joy in that? See, the thing is, Jesus is offering us a better way, a way of supernatural peace and chaos, he told us last week, he illustrated it through his life. doesn't mean you live pain-free, resistance-free. Jesus had real agony. We'll see in the garden, Jesus said, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup of wrath pass from me. God, I don't want to experience separation from you. I don't want to uh, experience your wrath and the sins of the world on me. I don't look forward to that. But God, your will be done, not mine. And Paul said, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, suffered the shame. And so we see that Jesus can provide us supernatural peace and chaos and supernatural joy and chaos if we begin to reorder our lives and our minds where Christ is the center and we're more mindful of all the other things we're taking into our life 
that are just hindering and sabotaging the very thing that we've been created anew, born again for, which is to glorify God and produce more and more fruit in your life. Today, those who do sermon follow-up or Wednesday in K-Group have a question that I'm looking forward to hearing our group answer. Have you gone through periods of your Christian life when you had little or no, you made little or no effort to um, have a relationship, work on your relationship with Christ? What happened? What was going on? How did that feel during that moment? Because you see, if you're connected to Jesus and your life is just being lived on your own terms, even if it's for a season, which is possible according to the word of God, then you're going to be miserable in your existence. You're going to be just feel off because the purpose that God reborn you and created you for, you're not fulfilling it. And so he says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he, he prunes. He's going to prune your life. If you're living in such a way, he's going to come in and he's going to say, we need to take this off. We need to cut that down. We need to get rid of this in our life. We need to eliminate these things. And you may say, but God, these are not sinful things. They're not bad things. And he says, they're hindering you from being as fruitful as you can be. So I'm taking those things away from you. I'm convicting you of those things so you can turn from those things and so that you can fulfill your purpose, which is to shine your light. And it's difficult to be pruned. It's painful to be pruned, but it's for our spiritual maturity so we can be more effective in our ministry. And so it involves cutting away interests, activities, habits, anything that's slowing you down from your purpose. And so the fruit-bearing branches or the light, it's the demonstration of the life of the vine, what's coming through the vine out to you. The fruit demonstrates that. The light demonstrates that. So what is fruit? That's a, that's a great question because we say that word, produce fruit, but what's Jesus specifically talking about here? Look at verse 5. I think John Piper knows this well, gets this right. He said, look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So fruit is everything we do that can only be done by the power of Christ. Because without him, we can do nothing. So when we do things in his power, in his will, with his strength, then those things are fruit. Fruit is everything that we do that can only be done by the power of Christ. And so that's an incredible point just to ponder and think about. Because many of us, we've been raised in church, started church when I was age five. I know all the stories. I know most of the passages. I can point you to the references a lot of times. But just knowledge isn't fruit. It's what am I doing with that? What is, what's happening in my life? What am I doing like Jesus? Jesus said constantly, we've seen it. I can only do, Jesus, God, what, you, what you're doing. I'm only going to do what you are doing. And Jesus constantly referenced that he was about doing the will of the Father. He was God, but he was setting an illustration for us. He was showing us that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Fruit is everything that can be done, only can be done in the power of Christ. And Christ set that example. It's the only things that are done in the glory, for the glory of God, in the name of God. And so Jesus set that example. So I like that definition. Here's one more definition I've used over time. Fruit is godliness 
displayed over a period of time, clearly demonstrating that Jesus is Lord of our lives. Let me read that again. Fruit is godliness, displayed over a period of time, clearly demonstrating that Jesus is Lord of our life. I think a key to that definition is the words over time. You see, people like Judas, they can fake it for a little bit. They can fake it for a while. Judas fit right in. But sadly, you know, we've known people in the church, kind of like the parable of the sowers, where the, the seed is scattered and some plants pop up, and you're like, oh, life. And then what happens? It dies. It's choked. It goes away. The sun kills it. And so you've seen people like this. You've seen teachers and preachers, elders even, who have said, you know, they're following Jesus. They're, they're leading people, but their life over time proves to be something different. I was listening to a song a few weeks ago, and it kind of stuck with me, just the lyrics to it. It's not a Christian song, per se. The, the musical artist is a guy named Ben Rector, and the song is called Heroes. And he's talking about how that he misses his old heroes from childhood, but he misses them because he realized that as a child, these people seemed larger than life, but in reality, they weren't so much heroes after all. And there's one verse where he says, I miss my Bible study leader, had all the answers for living in the big bad world, don't know if he still talks to Jesus, but his wife's remarried now, and I think he sells garage doors. And when I heard that, it reminded me of a guy I knew, Steve who's selling furniture, not garage doors. What happened? Fruit is godliness displayed over time, clearly demonstrating that Jesus is Lord of our life. I don't want to be that guy, do you? I don't want to be that one who they say, what happened to John? Man, we thought he was a, he was a solid preacher. He was, he was a great guy, a family guy. What happened to him? And you think, well, that could never happen to you. It could happen to me, and it could happen to you. We can fake it, and, and, and Scripture says, examine yourself. And I'm not trying to make you think that you can lose your salvation. Scripture is clear. You don't lose your salvation. If you're plugged into Jesus, there's nothing that's going to separate you from his love, Romans 8. But it's a great reminder, the other passages that do say, look at your life. Examine your fruit. What's going on? It's important that we do these things. And we look at our lives and evaluate our lives because we're so good at conning ourselves. We're so good at calling what's evil good and living our lives in a way that we just deny the obvious truth of God's word. And we get to a place where we just say, I deserve this. I've earned this. This lot life you've given me, God, it, it's terrible. And surely, God, you would never, ever want me to be unhappy, Right? You've heard that line before. God wants me to be happy. And so I can't be happy in this situation, so i got to find a new situation. I don't know how many people I can name who I were my Bible study leaders, who were my teachers, who fell into this category. And you know them as well. You thought they were real and legit, and they weren't. And Judas conned everybody. Number two, these people like this, these people who aren't real, the vine dresser removes and he burns fruitless branches. Look at verse 2 and, and then verse 6. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, 
He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So here, it again, it is, it's somebody who appears to be part of us, one who was among us. First John says it. They were with us, but they went away from us. And by going away, they proved that they were not one of us. And his point was, in the church, somebody abandoned the church. They, what we say, deconstructed their faith. They abandoned their faith. And over time, you know, they were gone. And it's easy for look at them and say, oh, they made that decision. But the truth is from this passage that over time, God's the one that grew impatient. And God is the one who removed the dead branches from the body. Judas Iscariot was removed from among Jesus' followers. He became the object of God's wrath because he was a fake all along. A fruitless disciple is no disciple at all. A fruitless disciple is no disciple at all. And it doesn't mean that, again, a, a true disciple can go through periods of time where there's drought, there's barren years even, but over the course of life, they will see evidence of Jesus' life at work in them. How could you not? How can you be connected to the vine and be a healthy branch and be no fruit producing in your life? It's impossible. The most radical thing that ever happened to you was your second birth, I would dare say, not your first birth. For something so radical as being born again, Jesus says, you're going to produce fruit. You know, back in chapter 13, when Jesus identified Judas as his betrayer, you remember what happened in that passage, Judas got up and he left the room. But he had conned the other disciples so well that many of them, the passage says, didn't even know that he was leaving for that reason. They thought, but it could be Judas. He's going out. Remember, they, they thought he was going out to take care of the poor. All right, Here's a guy who did a great job of just, just knowing everybody and, and convincing everybody he was the real deal, even as Satan entered into him to go out and start this process of Jesus' arrest. So I can imagine that as Jesus is teaching this, that when we come to verse 3, they're wanting some clarification. like Because Jesus, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Well, it wasn't Judas because he went out to help the poor, so it's got to be one of us. And so there's concern. Are we one of those branches going to be just thrown into the fire? And he tells them in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So he says, you're good, guys. You're, you're clean Right, you, the, the, the fellowship and the teaching of Jesus, there's been real true change in your hearts. And as a result of that, you've taken up your cross, you're following me, you've cut away your personal ambitions and goals. You're not doing the things that you used to do. You're not living the way you used to live. There's been radical change in your life, and he tells him, you're bearing fruit. Now, look, there's some pruning to be do, done, guys, and you're going to see in the next few days, but you are clean. So he reassures them that they are one of the true branches. And then verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, in 10 sentences in this passage, Jesus says, abide or remain, whichever way is in your translation, ten times. It's only when the nutrients are freely flowing to the branch is fruit produced. And so this idea of abiding, you know, again, we have this tendency to make abide being some emotional experience or something that happens. But what he's saying is, just live out your connection to the vine. Live it out. Live out this connection. 
When a person places their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, the life of Jesus begins to flow from Jesus into the branches, into your life, into my life. Jesus has made us alive. His Spirit dwells in us, and we're reminded, apart from Him, apart from living out fully this connection, allowing this to flow through, not covering up or hiding our light, that Jesus flows through us, but apart from him, nothing is going to happen. Nothing of eternal value happens. And then he goes to prayer. And, and this is why prayer is so important, because prayer is instrumental. It's, it's critical in living out this union with Christ, this abiding in Christ. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my word, uh, words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, sadly, many people have turned this around to be like, this is about getting your way in life, you know, very much prosperity, and just ask God, and he'll give it to you. But this whole context is about bearing fruit, producing fruit. Prayer is for bearing fruit, producing fruit, for God's kingdom, for his will to come. Jesus, when he taught to pray, he didn't say, just ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Anything in the world, just have it for your pleasure. He said, pray this way, he says, my kingdom come, my will be done in your life on earth as it is in heaven. And so the purpose of prayer is God's will. And so when we internalize the word of Jesus, that will help us make scripturally informed requests that God will desire and choose to answer when it's according to his sovereign will. So we pray according to his will the best that we can, and we pray in confidence seeking God and asking God, God, we desire this, and we feel like we put aside our personal agenda. We felt like we put aside our reasons for doing it for something for our benefit. And this is just for your glory and for your honor alone, Jesus. And we pray those prayers. And we do so in a, in a posture of dependence, like a child coming to a parent. And so is your life function that way? Or the habits of your life, if, is your prayer, which I, I pray that you're part of that 61% who says they're in the word every day and they're praying every day, that the first thing on your prayer request list isn't fix this or help me do this, but the first thing on your prayer list is it's about your will, God, not mine. Today, may I fulfill my purpose in life, bear fruit for your glory, not for my glory, for your glory. Put that at the top of your prayer list and see what happens. And then as you work your way down the, your prayer list, everything for God's glory, his honor. Many of you saw the prayer request come through for Lisa Martin who lost her dad yesterday morning. And back in the summer, she told me a pretty awesome, amazing story. She said that her dad was not a believer. And she said she'd been praying and praying for her dad for years. And some of you know, when your family members are not believers, it's so difficult to talk to them. They know you. They've known you. They knew you when you were rebel and wild and crazy. And it's so hard to come back to them and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about salvation. But she knew that she had to talk to her dad about Jesus. He'd just come out of the hospital. He'd been on a vent for like seven or eight days. He came out of the hospital. She went to his house, sat there for two hours, shared Jesus with him, listened to his objections. And his objections were, I saw way too many fakes, too many preachers who stood up on Sunday and shared the word. And then on Monday, they were living their lives like everybody else out in the bar scenes and out living like crazy and wild and cheating on their wives. This is his words. That's what he saw. And he said, I don't want any part of that. But she went over, poured her heart out. She had been praying for him for years and years and years. 
and he placed his faith in Jesus Christ back in the summer. Gave his life to Christ. You know, the death of her dad, just like losing any parent, is so painful. But don't you think right now she has a peace that passes understanding? A peace to know that her dad is in heaven and that she will see him again. Because she was willing not only to pray, but also to respond when God said go. And I'm sure in her mind, just like us, we make objections. What will they think? Or probably better for another day. Or, you know, now is not the right timing. But she took action. And today, she's celebrating the fact that she prayed and then she listened and she went. So when we pray and we, we, we take our request to God, let's pray, God, help me to be that conduit. Help me to bear fruit and shine my light. Help me not just be a consumer who goes and like, oh, that was, that's a pretty good sermon today, I guess. Uh, where do you want to go to lunch? Let's hit Diablos. Okay, let's go. All right. And you go and you sit there and then life moves on. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe K-Group. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, doing pretty much what we want to do. Oh, yeah, church Sunday. We better get back, go to church. That's what we do on Sunday. And there's very little during the week of going to like a child to a parent and say, God, I, I desire to do your will today. God, I need you to work through me and in me. And that's the top thing on my list today. Prayer list is, God, you shine, you produce. Because apart from you today, I got nothing. I can do nothing at all. Is that on top of your list? Watch what happens when that becomes the top prayer request. And you pray that day in and day out from your heart. Something changes. Verse 8, and this is going to be kind of the summary. This is our head application today. By this, my Father is glorified. That's what we said. It's all about God's glory. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And you produce this fruit, you prove that you're my disciple. When you live for Jesus and you're living for his glory and your life and there's godliness being produced in your life, you're growing more like him incrementally for sure, but you're growing to be more like Christ and fruits produced that's proof that you're my disciples, Jesus says. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our life is about God's glory. For we're bought with a price, Paul said, so glorify God in your body, in your body. The hard application, abide. Jesus wants us to have joy and bear fruit to glorify God. And the only way that we can do that is abiding in his love. Abide in his love. Set at his feet like Mary and Martha. You have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's times to run around and get things done, but there's times to sit at the feet of Jesus, and we should do that every day. Abide in Christ. And then our hands application, just keeping the word of Jesus in our hearts and minds. Doesn't mean we advance from the gospel to some next stage. It's not some mystical experience, like I said. It's keeping the word of Jesus in our hearts and minds. And so if you wonder why we're in week number 62 of the Gospel of John and we're in no hurry to move on because these are the words of Jesus. I mean, all the New Testament is the word of Jesus. It's, it's all the, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. But these words we need, as Jesus took just the time to teach his disciples these critical truths, we need to allow these truths to, to set over us, to be over us, to change our hearts and minds not so we are more enlightened, but so we go out of here and we say, man, I'm connected. I want to abide in Jesus' love. 
I want my life to shine. I want my fruit to be produced. And I want to do what God created me to do. And we pray to God, and we pray those kind of prayers to God. And God says, hey, here's what I want you to do. And like Lisa, you go, and you respond, and you do it. And let God take care of the results. Will you step out like Jesus? I only do what I see the Father doing. I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to follow your leading. I'm going to obey your scripturally informed commands. And I'm going to live for your glory and your honor. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your truth, your word that gives us life. And we, we all, if we're honest, will admit that it's so easy to be sucked into this world and allow Satan to throw things at us that seem very fulfilling and very promising. But at the end of the day, they bring us to destruction, depression, despair, because we're not fulfilling the purpose that you've recreated us for to live our lives in a way that glorifies you, God, and produces fruit and lets our light shine so people will see our good works and glorify you. And God, I pray you'll help us to be a church, a body of believers who truly, truly does that. God, I pray for those people in here who are, your words, dead wood, that they're, on, they're hanging around, but they're, they're not connected, God. I pray that today will be their day of salvation that they will respond while your spirit still, still speaks truth to them. They, they hear you. And God, may today be the day of your salvation, their salvation, God, that they will respond to the gospel message that they may know so well. And God, may their lives become just a living sacrifice for you, what they've been created for. And God, I pray that you will just do your work in our church. Help us to shine for you. In Jesus' name.